I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzola here with Sam Monson. Yeah, we're a little late on Monday morning, but that's the tailgate's fault. Mm-hmm. But we're ready to go. It's time to grade the drafts. We're going to have four shows this week, Sam. Wow. Two divisions per, because you know we can't do one draft grades show. No. Stretch well, out. we could, but it would take a long time. Oh, maybe we'll do that. Let's just record them all in one eight-hour block right now. Yeah. We'll probably dedicate about two hours per uh, an year, hour per division next year we could do that right after the draft you know when the video guys are fresh oh yeah they're you know? fresh just, hey guys have you got another eight hours to hang around 24 hours of live coverage and we'll just you know tack on another eight mm. we got that eight i mean hey eight eight's being pretty uh, optimistic actually when you think about it four shows that's under two hours a show <laughs> I don't we're, know. we're gonna have some fun here talking nfc east and nfc north so we'll start with those, and uh, we'll try to crank one out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to get through all of the draft reviews. All that sound good? And then we're into, like, the off-season, the actual off-season. Yeah. All two weeks of it. And then there's, like, mini camps, and, and we're back up again. Yeah, but then when it's like, that's when we start doing, like, periodic table of quarterbacks and stuff like that. That's well, you do. I'm out of here. Yeah, which day are you leaving again? Uh, what day is your first show not TBD, here? TBD, but it's, like, the end of May. I'm... I have a vacation coming up before that, so I'll, I'll hang you out to drive first. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I at least gave you notice. You just... I'm, I'm this is here. your notice. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in that second week of May. Okay. That's next week, actually. <laughs> I might be driving to Florida next week. Heads up. Thanks. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right. We'll see. Um, had a great weekend. I actually went back to uh, Boston for, uh, for a day. They celebrated our Division Two World Series team from oh, 20 yeah? years ago. Um, and I just want to give a shout-out to Airport Zach... Airport from Northeastern, uh, send us an email, right? He came up, said hello. He was, listening, he was listening to our podcast as he walked by me at the airport. Wow. And um, he said he was going to reach. He, was, he wanted to help us. And I didn't give him the right email. You didn't so, give him the right email? Well, I just said, oh, you know, email us or something. And I should have specifically said NFL podcast at PFF.com. You need like a business card or something. Just like the podcast card. Oh, wait, I do. I do yeah. have business cards. The, the thing, you need that, right, on yeah. business card form. That's what we should you do. Here. NFL podcast at PFF.com is the email that gives us at PFF NFL pod for Twitter and the TikTok at PFF NFL podcast. You need one of those written on a business card and you can just hand it to people instead of whatever bumbling attempt you made at contact. Well, my apologies. But we always appreciate running into uh, fans of the show. Yeah. In public. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get into it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Let's get into it. But first, before we get into it, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. Luckily, you've got, fir- the, you've got first pick in selecting the right money moves. Do you need life insurance? What about help planning for your financial goals? Don't pass on this round. We don't trade out. We go right to Western and Southern. Use your position to expand your financial education and learn more with information on life insurance, investing, and retirement planning 
at westernsouthern.com slash draft. We appreciate Western and Southern. The uh, top sponsor here over the PFF NFL podcast. Yeah. So Title, go check that presenting out. Presenting sponsor. Presenting sponsor. Plaque on the wall. Look. Yeah. Look at those guys. We love those guys. It's so. a classy plaque as well. That's like solid billet, you know, aluminum, as you guys say. Yeah, and it's like uh, PFF NFL podcast blue. Right, I mean, it is aluminum, by the way. It's, uh, it's like brushed steel or something. Aluminum? Yeah. You say? Yeah. Aluminium? Right. The correct way. Aluminum. Yes. But it's really nice. It matches, it matches us. So It's our colors. Check out westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, NFC East. Yes. Let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And the uh, we're, we're, we've got uh, you go. You want to look at the consensus grades and then the PFF grades. I mean, we can do a little bit of everything. A right? little bit of both. The the Cowboys were at the bottom end of the consensus grade. Who is this? The uh, what's the uh, the name of the person that puts this out? Renee Bugner. <laughs> is that how you do it? Uh, I I don't know. What was his name? I I didn't. Renee has put together eighteen evaluations with a corresponding GPA based off those grades. So you you can see this chart on. Twitter, and you can see the Cowboys had grades that ranged from A to a D plus. Thor over at uh, NBC Sports, he's a hard grader. He is. Yeah, they show the GPA at the bottom. You know, yeah. once you work out where everybody is, just, that man's that man's harsh. There's a there's a great disparity between Chad Reuter from NFL.com. You know, yeah, we got the Shield. Uh huh. Kind of works for the Shield. Yeah, yeah. He's got the highest GPA. Protect the Shield. Um. And by protective, you, you know, inflate the grades. We we work with Shields teams. We might have to be a little protective sometimes. These are all team clients, but we're, we're only not, the we're third. Honest. We're only the third. Most we have the third highest GPA, and somebody has a D. But Thor, I think, sticks to a uh, Thor Nystrom. Does a he sticks to his board? Man has multiple Fs, multiple Fs, several Ds, and uh, two A pluses. But it, you know, he's honest and consistent across. He's, the board. he's given somebody an F who has the number eleven. Kind of consensus, you know, amalgam grade. Who's that, the Texans? Yeah. He didn't like the Texans. No, huh? really didn't like it. Anyway, this is a good way. So the Cowboys were 24th in the consensus. Uh, B plus per PFF. I like their, the I, we, you know, on the uh, live shows, I was on the, the Sunday, the roundup one um, yesterday, and I was the highest of, we all gave grades in that show. So me, Seth Galina, Trevor Sikama, Mike Renner. Um, and I was the highest of the PFF guys on Dallas's draft. I liked their draft. I thought they did a good job. So they, they grabbed Tyler Smith, the tackle slash guard out of Tulsa at 24. Clearly their top guard. As Jerry was at pains yeah. to show with visual representation of putting their draft board up to the camera. Is Which, that like part of the deal? Are they contractually obliged to somehow give away a portion of their draft board every single it's year. Like the seventh straight year, we've at least seen part of their draft board. Yes, in some sort of Easter egg, or just blatant, or just you know. Jerry handing yeah. it up to the camera, and being like, "See, look, he's uh, honestly." So I'm not going to say anything. He likes that sort is, of thing. I, it's not like they were alone on that. Like Tyler Smith was becoming a pretty popular first round pick in terms of mock drafts. Yeah, at that range in yeah, the twenties. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of people. I mean, it was either Dallas, maybe a little bit less, but Tennessee right behind them was a a place he was going a lot in mock drafts, that doesn't shock me, right? That I, I'm not sure why he felt the need to justify that is my point. Uh, so Tyler Smith first. Sam Williams, the explosive edge defender, goes in the second round out of, out of Ole Miss. Jalen Tolbert, guy you liked in the third round, wide Love receiver. That pick. Um, you always talk about the th- – this is one where I think you were right. You said, oh, the Cowboys are going to go fill their needs, Excellent. right? They go, What? Excellent. Yeah. I the, like I like. They have right. what they think is a starting guard. Yep. I think the Sam Williams pick – 
is absolutely trying to say, okay, we need to replace Randy Gregory. Yeah, they signed Dante Fowler too, mm-hmm. but they don't want Micah Parsons to be a full-time edge rusher. Sure. They want the flexibility from a game plan standpoint to move him around. So now you have Demarcus Lawrence, you have Sam Williams, you have Dante Fowler, and you do have Micah Parsons as Superman. And then Jalen Tolbert at receiver, you add some speed. I know he didn't run fast, but he plays fast, right? I mean, yeah. I see explosiveness from Jalen I mean, Tolbert. Yeah. And you add him to the mix with Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and James There are Watson. plays in his tape where he's running away from everybody. Yeah. He ran under 4-5, so maybe he's not blazing fast, but he's fast enough, uh, particularly at his size. Uh, he's a big receiver. So I love Jalen Tolbert generally. I think he's vastly underrated at the bottom end of the third round. I think he can step into that offense and – replace what they've lost not like i mean he's not amari cooper obviously but he can team with michael gallup and cd lamb to form that really imposing trio again of three guys that are difficult to cover and can cause you problems across the board that i think is vitally important for that dallas offense yeah so they, remember the cowboys lose amari cooper and you know they're they've been at their best offensively since getting amari cooper and then adding cd lamb and having three and four wide receivers, really four legitimate wide receivers last year because when Michael Gallup got hurt, Cedric Wilson stepped in. Cedric Wilson's gone. So they're going to replace Cedric Wilson and Amari Cooper with James Washington and Jalen Tolbert. I know on paper it doesn't look like, certainly that's not an upgrade, but you elevate C.D. Lamb to more of that wide receiver one. Gallup is still one of the better twos in the NFL. You know, they can make do here. I think as far as uh, what they're bringing to the table, as far as their receivers go, they also brought back Dalton Schultz, who has emerged as one of the better pass catching tight ends. I don't think they're better as far as pass catchers go, but I think they're they're good enough going into the season. Yeah, but they had been ranked like when we talked when we were talking receiving cores uh, or pass catchers in general, they'd been top three in our rankings over the last couple of years. They're not going to be there, but they'll be good. Right, and they they up until this they had done very little in terms of repairing the damage potentially done by letting uh, Amari Cooper walk. They signed James Washington. That's an intriguing guy to bring in. He's got some flashes of really big plays, like particularly deep down the field. That's where he's turned into a bit of a specialist um, on the deep ball. And, And James Washington has, you know, a big body, some run after the catch skills. I'm kind of curious what he'll be in an offense with Dak Prescott, as opposed to the ghost of, Ben Roethlisberger trying to throw him the ball for the last couple of years. True. But you look at James Washington, you're like, okay, James Washington is not replacing, like he's not replacing Cedric Wilson, let alone Amari Cooper. So to bring in a guy like Jalen Tolbert and to get him in the third round, I think potentially does a lot for that receiving core. Uh, as far as, you know, beyond the the first couple rounds, they, they add Jake Ferguson, uh, tight, you know, more of a backup tight end play, developmental tackle in there as well. Anything on day three? That stands out there. I thought, yeah, it's Matt Willetsko from from North Dakota, and when you—that's uh, where I'm. I'm all about the development, developmental tackles, you know, just in case they don't always pan out. But you just just to have that insurance, and that's that's a legitimate. Well, let's go from North Dakota as a, a legitimate backup for Terrence Steele. You know, the guy that you said might be mm. pushed out. It does seem like Steele's going to remain at right tackle with Tyler Smith playing left guard. I think that's my. Initial feeling, just because Jerry was comparing to the other guards that went ahead right. of Tyler Smith, right? Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green. And the, the, the offensive linemen that they took, including Tyler Smith, they're both of the sort of developmental bent, you know what I mean? They, sure. both, they both trend more of, okay, these are raw guys with tools that may be very good 
in the future might not be ready to start right away. And even they actually have the luxury. So as much as that, we've been hammering like, hey, look, Terrence Steele at right tackle is kind of a need as well, or at least he is if you think that left guard is a need. You can look at it and say, well, neither of those guys graded particularly well. You can also look at it and say, well, neither of them were disasters either. So there's definitely a world where Dallas doesn't actually need to start either guy. They could roll into the season with McGovern at left guard and, and Terrence Steele at right tackle and be fine. And then if Tyler Smith you know, takes a little time to hit the ground running or to iron out the, the rawness of his technique and become the player uh, that he can be, that's fine. They're actually capable of doing that. So I kind of like the idea that Dallas went for developmental types of offensive linemen because they have the flexibility to not have to play those guys. They also had developmental tackle Josh Ball in the middle rounds from last year out of Marshall. So there's some youth on that offensive line. And so overall, when you look at this Cowboys offense, I do think the pass catchers got a little bit worse. I do think the offensive line has gotten a little bit worse, right? I mean, the offensive line over the last couple of years, you said, okay, you've got these locked in multiple stars, right? It's Connor Williams and Lyle Collins are gone. The same way Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson are gone. So they're they're trying to build it back up. But I think it's also fair to say, just as a from a unit standpoint, pass catchers, offensive line, down a little bit. But, you know, might might have the pieces in place where a couple of years ago from now, they're back up to where they were before. Yeah. But you might see a slight step back from this Cowboys offense just from like a pure talent standpoint sure i just think this isn't like a knock on their draft or anything i'm just saying that that when you look at their offseason these were moves that they had to make because that was the position that they were in going into the draft yeah and they the other thing they've done is um with undrafted free agents they've hit a few interesting names at wide receiver so they've they've not just stood with what they had at the draft they've also added a few of these guys like jaquiri robertson uh, Robertson, rather, from Wake Forest, uh, Fry Fogel from Indiana. They've added some wide receivers in, as, as undrafted free agents that will give them a shot to compete in training camp as well. All right. Anything else on the Cowboys here? No. I, I think that was a good – I think that was a better draft Solid. than the, the grades are giving it credit for. We gave it a B plus. They're 24th in the consensus grade. Thor Nystrom with a the, with the D plus. I'm going to throw Thor's in there. John McCain. Uh, no, that's the uh, yeah. John McCain gave it. Uh, no, that was the Saints. Damn it! I can't even follow a straight line in my eyes. Oh, it's really difficult. Yeah. I ran into my own uh, my old friend Thor this weekend. Seamus Thor Vio. He's uh, Seamus Thor Vio. Seamus Thor Vio. That's was his an name. interesting uh, cultural mix of names. Yeah, that's Irish, Norse, and Italian yeah. all in one yeah. name. He's an interesting mix of person. Right. I'll tell you that. Okay. He was one of our he was one of our top recruits back in O two. Yeah. Bit of a disappointment. Didn't pan out. Huh. I'll tell you that. He worked hard. He just wasn't that good. Well, that's always the challenge. Just wasn't that good. Yeah. There was one practice, we were making fun of him quite a bit this weekend, where he swung and missed like twenty four straight times against a pitching machine. It was not good. Ugly I, practice. I don't know that I did that when I first picked up the bat for the but first this thing uh, i can't remember if yeah, it was a curveball machine down pretty slow because yeah seamus could hit a curveball but i think it was i think it was just fastballs but it was kind of like getting on you pretty quick and all and we just kept hearing the thud <laughs> of the ball hitting the backstop yeah. and uh yeah we ribbed him a little bit about it this weekend it was great it's good to see the, baseball talk the last part of my uh my tiktok outfit still hasn't arrived yet so i'm waiting on that but then then it's baseball time then it's baseball then it's time and we're getting back to it all right who's next in the afc east the uh, Dallas, who else is in the East? New York. Phil- ah, so New York's next? Uh-huh. 
Do we go by New York or do you go by the uh, by the surname? The no, first guy, the, the city name. All right, New York Giants. They're next. Interesting draft by the Giants, right? So coming out of round one, loved their round one. Yeah. Love the fact that they got Kayvon Thibodeau. One of the winners in Evan Deal. Yeah, I mean, they, um, that was one of those. They, they sit at five and seven. We, we talked a lot about, you know, do they trade down? You know, what, what do the Giants do with these two picks? And they sat at five and seven and say by the PFF draft board, you got uh, number six and seven overall. So things played out pretty well. You get the number two edge. You get the number three tackle. I, I like Devin Neal best among the tackles, so I like their two picks. Yeah, I, I think – Round one went about as well as it could possibly. What did you do over there? Would you kick something? I was just saying you can tell that the tailgate podcast has been in here, in here before us because down here we've got get your manscaped items. We got manscaped, yeah, and we've got smelling salts. Oh yeah. So those are the right. two the two ways that you know that Mike Renner has been sitting in here lately. And you need the smelling salts after this weekend. Now, um, I don't think manscaped's not a sponsor this week for us. Well, you know, they, they're good to the show, though. So let's, let's give them some... Uh, but they didn't send us that body wash. They didn't. Well, maybe they will now. They sent it to tailgate only. Maybe they will now. Look, maybe man, maybe this is the kind of, you know, product placement that Manscaped right. needs. Why don't you... To be able to send us Why don't the, you put some on your hands like <laughs> Seth did on the live show, not realizing, oh, it's body wash, not like lotion or... <laughs> maybe this is, you know, the kind of product placement that Manscaped needs to be able to send us some care package and body wash, you know? They did sponsor the, the draft show this entire exactly. weekend. So, so we I do think, appreciate Manscaped. And who's this? You going to hit those smelling salts? This is hype dust. I'm not. So Renner was, Renner took a hit of this before the final live show on Sunday, whatever he is, four days into this thing. Oh, yeah. And, like, the nose went, like, right into the bottle, right? Now, remember, like, not long ago, they opened it, like, over there, and you could smell it? Oh, yeah. Those things are So he was intense. saying, you know, it's losing its impact, whatever the – but apparently you revive it by putting it in the microwave. Oh. And that, like, reawakens the – whatever, the chemical reaction. Yeah. It feels like that's a very dangerous, you know, way of doing that. Like, how much does it reawaken that chemical reaction? Like, can you go in the kitchen after you've microwaved this, or is your house – like Check dead out, throw it in the microwave upstairs at the uh, That's a great in the idea. office. Yeah, and then then bolt. Anyway, I'm not. I'm no. I'm not touching the uh, the hype dust. All right, let's go. New York Giants here. Uh, so so round one. I think the Giants did about as good as you could possibly have done. I mean, they drafted two players, each of whom at one point was the fa- the betting favorite to go number one overall. Yes. Now whether or not you know that was just hype or narrative at the time or whatever, these two guys were definitely seen as. Um, elite high-end prospects. Evan Neal, I think you can still make an argument, was definitely the best tackle of this draft as a lot of people had him number one in that position. And Kayvon Thibodeau is a guy who, every time I go back to his tape, I'm sort of reminded how good he is, right? He, every, the narrative around him is negative, but every time you actually go back and just watch him play, it's like, dude, he's better than this than the talk. Like, I'm not quite sure why... Everything surrounding him is kind of negative and about what he can't do and his limitations and, well, he doesn't have the three cone that the other two guys have and blah, 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 blah. You go back and watch him. It's like he's so explosive, so twitchy. Like why are we not giving him the benefit of the doubt for the thing that he's not great at? Like we're kind of ignoring it for Aiden Hutchinson and his stumpy little arms, and we're, kind of, we're basically ignoring it for Trayvon Walker, who had no production whatsoever in college. But with Kayvon Thibodeau, it's all – well, he'll never be successful at the next level because he doesn't turn the way the other guys do. I mean, Thibodeau, people that we like and respect, had him 
as edge one. Yeah. Right. Again, this is why I wanted to reiterate about Hutchinson. He very quickly fell out of the conversation for number one overall, and I don't think that should have happened. Hutchinson, re- repeating myself for the 90th time this draft season, isn't a Bosa or a Chase Young or a Miles Garrett. And, and that, you know, you could say that just based off watching the tape. You could say that looking at PFF grades over the years and just having that one really peak year. You could also just look at the way people ranked these guys, right? Like nobody had a Bosa as the second or third edge in, in their respective draft classes. Nobody did that with Miles Garrett or Chase Young. Consensus number ones pretty much unless people were just, um, you know, trying to be creative. Hmm. So a lot of people did have Kayvon Thibodeau as the top edge. Our friend Nate Tice had K- Thibodeau as the top edge. We've seen people rank him number one. Same thing with the tackles. There was not a consensus number one tackle between Iki Ikewanu, Charles Cross, and Evan Neal. It went Icky first, Neal second, and then Cross came off third out of that group. We had Cross number one on the PFF draft board, and I kept saying, look, Evan Neal's probably the best combination of run blocker and pass blocker. He's probably got the cleanest all-around skill set. So I love those first two picks for the Giants. And they did sit at five and seven rather than looking yeah. next year, trading down or any of that stuff. And I think it's in part because they, do, they did get two players that were – of the blue chipper type of variety if, in this particular class. If they were going to stay in round one and not trade out and go for next year, um, this is this is as well as it could have gone. So day one, the Giants absolutely nailed it. And look, there are people out there at the moment that don't want to give teams credit for drafting good players at premium, at premium draft spots, right? Well, they had two top 10 picks, so of course they're going to get good players. I still think even with, like there were no-brainers, because two elite players at positions of need fell to them. So, of course, they ended up with Kayvon Thibodeau and, and Evan Neal. It's still good. Like, it's still there's, – there's, you deserve credit for not, like, you know, having a seizure during the pick and failing to get it in or trying to get creative and, you know, picking something insane or doing what the Jags did and passing up the much more likely scenario of Aiden Hutchinson being a better player than Trayvon Walker and shooting – for the upside like you deserve credit for just doing taking the layup right i mean well, ultimately the points went in the net that's the important thing what's i mean the, the whole po- we got to be honest about all this stuff obviously draft grades come down to how did you see the player yeah based off where they were picked um i don't know if people really think enough about the opportunity cost of someone else that they could have gotten to in their in the draft grades i think that's where where thor comes in he does i think he does a really good job of saying I would have had this guy because he's much higher on my right. board. But it's, it's clearly everyone's own opinion when it comes to the draft. I just stuff. think you deserve credit for making – you deserve credit yeah. for taking the layup, right? It's easy. Obviously, a layup is, is way easier than, you know, any more complicated shot you could be taking. But the points went in. That's the important yeah. part. I also don't want to give teams credit just for filling needs. You know me, anti-needs guy. But in this particular case, when it's like, well, clearly you need an edge rusher. Clearly you need a right tackle – and the value matches up well there, I think yeah. the Giants did very well there. Now, um, the second round is where things went off the rails. And then, so again, I think we're going to be lower on the Giants draft because at 43, they took player 125 on our board. At 67, they took player 133, right? So the rest of their draft, they were taking players essentially much lower, or at least their, their next couple picks, much lower on the PFF draft board. Starting with Wandell Robinson out of Kentucky he goes at 43 and um, we were talking about it on when we were live talking about day two this is like the 2-2 Atwell pick last year this is that 
the gimmicky type of receiver, the change of pace, the the jet sweep guy, the the satellite player, Sam, right? Get him into space. And we were taking him at 43, though. Yeah. This is a little different for the NFL, but, you know, I think this is And we were lower on high. him than a lot of other people, but even by the consensus board, he was 91 overall, um, which is lower than Calvin Austin, who went, what, in the third round to the Steelers? Yeah. Um, so you, you drafted a guy who was potentially a worse player a round earlier. And so one of the interesting things we were talking about yesterday is that the NFL, so it's an interesting approach because they, they're shooting for this gadget type of player, you know, who, who isn't a conventional wide receiver. The NFL sucks at creating gadget players, right? They're really bad at it. And this is one of the reasons why some people, including myself and Mike Renner, were lower on a guy like Traylon Burks than other people because he didn't play wide receiver in college. He played gadget athlete. And Arkansas, in college, was really good at using him as gadget athlete. They would line him up everywhere. He literally played every single offensive position other than offensive line over the course of his college career. He lined up as a wide receiver in the slot, a tight end, as an H-back in the backfield, at quarterback. He, he lined up everywhere in an attempt to get that dude the ball because he's six foot with three, 225, and fast. Perfect. And you can build a college offense around that guy. In the NFL, nobody is building an offense around one specific uh, wide receiver slash athlete. You're building an offense around a quarterback. So the NFL has historically and for years been terrible at these types of players, which is why Tavon Austin, one of the greatest college players ever, stinks in the NFL because all he can do is jet sweeps, right? The NFL cannot build an offense that utilizes Tavon Austin. It's why when we were talking with Nate Tice when we brought up this, like who was a player that was kind of before his time and in today's offense would be way better. And we were uh, talking about um, the guy the Bengals drafted years ago. Peter Warwick. Yeah, yeah, Peter Warwick. Um, and actually, I my point was I'm not sure the NFL would have been that much better with Peter Warwick. Now, I was sort of saying it from a standpoint of Peter Warwick's style might not suit it, but – the NFL is still not great at using players like that. They're better than they used to be, but they don't do it. So to draft a guy like Wondell Robinson in the second round, you're essentially saying, oh, that's a – he either has to play wide receiver at a degree he hasn't done before, or you have to create an offense that makes him more successful uh, in the NFL than he has been, neither of which seems like a tremendously likely thing to happen. Do you, do you think part of the thought process, right or wrong, is that he was their third player selected? Right, So even though he's a second-rounder, third player selected. So you're getting your two starters, right? You're getting Evan Neal. You're getting Kayvon Thibodeau. Does that make it more you know, easier to digest that you're getting, let's call it a gimmick player? And, and is he more than a gimmick player? Look, nobody knows any of this stuff. I w- the limitations for him, though, being 5'8", 179, with the l- shortest arm length we've ever seen for a receiver. The catch radius is tiny. Mm-hmm. And clearly, where he needs to win is short area. I mean, a lot of the Kadarius Tony type routes that we thought even though I thought Tony advanced his game and became more of a, a true wide receiver last year we always thought that Tony might have that in him I don't know if Wandell has that in him if you just break down the Giants depth chart right now does Wandell Robinson fit in sure Kenny Galladay there's your big outside guy if he could live up to the hype out there Sterling Shepard is kind of your true slot Kadarius Tony is a slot plus probably at this point where he could do some of the satellite stuff and maybe win on the outside a little bit more than we expected. And also might be on his way out. Um, they're claiming he's not going to trade him. 
I also wonder if the Wandale move was to directly replace Kadarius Tony. Let's yeah. say that's the case. It's still like your it's still your third pass game option that you're getting in the forties in round two. So from a value standpoint, it doesn't it doesn't mesh all that well. And you don't want to build a, an offense around jet sweep guy. I mean, it's th- those are you not can't. offense building things. Right. You that, you can't is the point. Like we've seen previously with players like Tavon Austin who was drafted a hell of a lot higher. Like, this is the thing. You, you can't create an offense around a guy like that at the NFL level. It doesn't work. One, NFL defenses are better. Um, the systems are better. You've also got less space to work in because of the tighter hash marks, right? You don't have a field side where there's a giant area of space that you can run a jet sweep into, and all of a sudden a slot guy is in a bind with, like, 15 yards of channel to deal with one-on-one. That doesn't exist in the NFL. So even guys like Tavon Austin, they've just got less space to work with. So I do wonder, you got Brian Dable coming over for the Giants. Do they want him to be do they want him to be Cole Beasley? I mean, so Dable was running that Buffalo offense where I thought they did a really nice job of having roles on their offense. At, at one point they had John Brown as a deep threat and that evolved into Gabriel Davis and Stephon Diggs was their do everything guy. And they always had Cole Beasley in the slot. Right, they always had a guy that um, they could trust as a possession type. If that's what they see as Wondell Robinson, and they end up feeding him, he's capable of doing that. I don't know if he's going to be as as good as Cole Beasley as a pure slot receiver. So I don't know. It's still a little bit higher than we would have liked. I don't want to completely trash them for it because I could see where he would fit in. And there was a lot of receivers already off the board, mm-hmm. but uh, you know he still went ahead of a guy like Sky Moore, who were much higher on. So Sky Moore, George Pickens, uh, John Mechie, who I don't love but could fill that role. Like he he went ahead of a lot of players that would seem like more natural fits for that specific spot. If if that's what you're trying to fill, um, the rest of the draft, Joshua Azedu, um, Azudu from uh, North Carolina. They actually bought, got two North Carolina guards. Came back and got. The monster Marcus McKeithen from uh, from UNC, another guard that was six six, that six six three forty with a massive wingspan. So a couple developmental guards. I like that. Again, just get get some young offensive linemen in there. You, you made the big move with mm-hmm. Evan Neal. They made a couple moves in free agency. Micah McFadden's an interesting one. He was a decent pass rushing linebacker in round five. I think in their new scheme, they might be blitzing a little bit more. And that McFadden had the best pass rush grade of any off ball linebacker last year. So that could be a, a niche, a niche uh, selection, as uh, we were talking about a lot on. You were mentioning that a lot, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that you used the correct. Uh, well, Seth started it, and he's you know non-American, right? So he started calling it niche, so he can speak properly. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Dane Belton was good value. We liked him as a safety out of Iowa in the fourth round. Daniel Bellinger's an athletic tight end in round four. Um, the other round three pick, uh, Cordell Flott, the tall he's a tall slot corner out of lsu i don't know if they project him on the outside if he's going to come in and maybe compete with james bradbury Um, but right now you've got a dory jackson james bradbury flot has a chance to compete in the slot or perhaps developmental outside corner as james bradbury is in the last year of his contract yeah i mean the giants to me absolutely nailed round one i'm giving them full credit for doing that even though it was relatively simple to make those picks given how the board fell to them and then I think from that point on, almost entirely, they just started reaching on players. Now, they may end up with good players, but ultimately the value is what I would quibble with with, with that, the rest of that draft. So I think it's overall it becomes a solid draft, but it's propped up by that first round. Um, so the consensus did have the Giants number six. Um, I, I assume, and we gave them, what do we give them? We gave them an eight. 
a B minus. Okay, so we were we were the lowest of the top ten people um, as far as the grading goes. He, they were sixth in GPA, and we gave it a B minus because we were lower on Wandell. We were lower on some of these other players. I think the Wandell Robinson pick though might be the thing that determines the strength of this draft. Of course, it's Thibodeau and Evan Neal, and if they become good, you're happy as a Giants fan. But I can't. I'm curious to see what they see. Yeah. In Wandell Robinson, is he sl- uber slot plus or just a gimmick player? Clearly, picking him that high, they think he could do do more than just the jet sweep game. So. Yeah, and look, that's that's not unique to the Giants. There's a lot of these picks where the place that they've taken a certain player shows obviously that they think differently about that player and about what he's capable of doing and about the role he will have than most people do. And you know, you. You have to sort of respect that and say, well, obviously the Giants think this is true, but you don't immediately change your mind just because they did, you know? It's like, okay, that's an interesting data point. The Gi- like Washington, we'll get to that in a minute, right? But Washington's take on Jahan Dotson is clearly different to yeah. most people's. Now, I respect that, but I don't immediately go, well, I'm wrong. Everything I just saw doesn't yeah. matter anymore. It's like, well, okay, I disagree. Let's see how it works. Yeah, of course. We'll see. Uh, so Giants, number six consensus, B-minus per PFF. Philadelphia Eagles up next, one of, the, one of the drafts everybody seemed to love. Third best by the consensus, A per PFF. And uh, if you listen to the PFF NFL Daily today, steals of the draft. Yeah. You had a steal for the Eagles. I had a steal for the Eagles. They got A.J. Brown. That's part of their draft hall, right? They gave up their first rounder. Yeah, so we were talking about this before the show, and I think it's worth rehashing it live, as it, it were, on air. Like, when you're grading drafts, what counts as the draft class? Because I'm generally against giving people credit for moves that were made ages ago but involved draft picks. So, like, the Rams draft class doesn't involve Matthew Stafford, right, just because they traded a first-round pick for Matthew Stafford. That happened literally a year ago. It's not – it's completely independent of this draft class other than the fact that they no longer have that draft pick. But I do want to give the Eagles credit for trading, essentially, for A.J. Brown with their first-round pick. And I don't think that that's intellectually inconsistent because I think if it, if it happened on the day of the draft, you can draw an immediate straight line between, oh, they just took that first-round pick, gave it to them, now they have a wide receiver. They used that pick on a wide receiver as if they were making the selection. I don't think you can do that if it happened, like, weeks, months, years ago. Um, so for me... I think it's fair to count anything that happened on draft day as the draft. Anything that happened before draft day is not. And this is just for the random exercise of grading drafts. Sure. Is that a reasonable line to draw? I mean, it is. Good. I mean... No, no, stop talking now. That's all I need to hear. For draft grading, that's fine. (laughs) For team building... No, because we're not doing team building grades. Of course, like because if it's team building grades, the Rams get an A plus. I mean, however you acquire the they player, they get an A plus next year too because yeah, they like, won a Super Bowl. However you acquire the player, you acquire the player. But for the purpose of like evaluating a draft, I to me only stuff that you did on the day of the draft is relevant. So the other part <laughs> about grading the draft, though, all of the consensus low teams are teams that didn't have first round picks for the right. most part. And if you're which being, is harsh, but if you're being true. You're not just saying, well, here's the haul that they got. This haul's better than yeah. that haul. It's actually, well, Rams, when you're picking at 102, how did you do given that you had 102? And right. if people were being 
intellectually honest about those things, the Rams probably yeah. wouldn't be second to last. Well, all of the last teams wouldn't be the Rams, Dolphins, Bears, in, 49ers, and teams that didn't have first-rounders. In particular, there's two or three teams that didn't pick for a long time in this draft that I think did really well with certainly the first pick that they had. Like, they ended up getting players that will make impacts at positions of need, which is all you can ask. So, yeah, I think that generally is a bit of a harsh way of doing it. But all this is a, is a way around to point out that I think that Philadelphia deserves credit for trading for A.J. Brown as, as part of their draft hall. As part of their draft hall. Okay. So when you look at that and you say A.J. Brown, Jordan Davis, uh, Cam Juergen's uh, potential replacement for – uh, Jason Kelsey at center right at the time where Kelsey's, you know, hitting that point of it's not going to last forever. Kelsey even talked about, right, like grooming him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, working d- with him he's ecstatic. The dude's yeah. like, oh, sweet. Like, here's my here's my heir apparent. Now, now we can do this the right way. Hand off the position in, in good shape. N'Kobe Dean at round, in round three, genuinely one of the steals of the draft. Um, I mean, that, that'll, that right there, that's a haul. That's an amazing draft. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was fantastic. I'm also fascinated by the strategy here, right? So Jordan Davis, they go up to get him at 13. They leapfrog the Ravens, who presumably would have loved a Jordan Davis. Um, I feel like we only tied Jordan Davis to the Chargers in their defensive style um, in that way, right? We, we said, well, Brandon Staley's forward-looking, and he plays too high, and you, you want to play run defense with fewer players in the box, and Jordan Davis is that guy that could tie it together. Well, the Eagles do the same thing, right? The Eagles play the softest of soft zones, tightened up a little bit as they went on last year, but they want to play zone. They don't want to blitz. The Eagles hate blitzing. They want to rush with four, and they want to play coverage. They want to make you earn it. They were one of the best teams in the league at not allowing explosive plays down the field in Philadelphia last year. So I do think stylistically it is similar to that Chargers analysis where we said if you plop a double-team uh, demander, double team demander, like a Jordan Davis. Got to block him with two. And this is if he plays to his potential, right? Because one on one with any guard or center on any given play, you always mention how he's, he's first to win with his hands and, and get his hands on the offensive lineman and pop him. And he's got that power and strength. If he's going to literally be commanding double teams when it comes to the run game and when it comes to pass rushing, this is. It's an interesting schematic fit here for the Eagles. Yeah. And, and now they have this loaded eight-man defensive line, and they don't have anybody that looks like Jordan Davis until right. now. And particularly when you think about what they have at linebacker as well. Um, Philadelphia haven't put any kind of resources into the linebacker position for years, and consequently for most of that time they had a terrible group of linebackers. And then randomly they hit on a guy, T.J. Edwards, um, who we love. We graded really well in college – Graded well as a special teamer when he made a roster in the NFL. Graded well in limited snaps. Finally sort of won a starting job through sheer quality of play at everything he's been asked to do preseason as well. Um, undersized, not a good athlete, but understands the position, has great uh, everything upstairs intellectually. You know, head is elite. Everything physically, not so much. So they already have a guy like that. And then they find Nicobe Dean in this in this draft, who the questions around him are all, well, he's five foot eleven. He never ran. We think he's probably not fast. Um, he's sort of the, it's physical, right? Whereas we turn on his tape, it's like this is all insane. Uh, so all of a sudden, they've got two undersized, potentially not great athletes at the linebacker position. 
But now in front of those guys, you've got Jordan Davis. And by the way, it's not like he's alone. You've got Fletcher Cox. You've got Javon Hargrave. You've got some big bodies that can cause real problems and keep those guys free. One of the big criticisms that people were leveling at N'Kobe Dean is, well, yeah, of course he looked great in that Georgia defense. He had Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter in front of him. Like, how could he not? Um, well, he still has Jordan Davis in front of him. Like, if that was one of your big keys, oh, this isn't going to work at the next level when he doesn't have a Jordan Davis in front of him. Well, that's still the case now. So give, give all the other Nicobe Dean anecdotes about the playbook and just how, like, so how he, smart is he at linebacker? He is supposedly, and I say supposedly because I've never met the man, right? But the people that have, and I've right. talked to you know, coaches and blah, blah, blah. He is supposedly some form of football savant where on day one as a freshman, he had like learned the playbook. On the first day of installs, <laughs> He is getting people lined up correctly and knows all the checks and stuff that it normally takes, you know, young defenders weeks, months, years to learn. Like, he understands all that immediately. And scouts are saying, like, this guy will know the NFL playbook in, like, 48 hours. Like, he will – it will be down. He will have that in his head within two days. And that is huge because, again, particularly for linebacker, remember all the things we've been saying about how hard that position is – to translate now, when you watch Jamin Davis last year for Washington, um, first-round pick, incredibly athletic, huge talent, pretty bad year one. And when you watched him play, you could see the thinking time. Like you could almost – you could see the cog spinning in his head. Every play was like snap, uh, there it is, right? And you could literally watch like the lag time as he processed the whole thing and then figured out where to go and then he would set off and boom. That's not, I don't think you're going to see that from the Kobe Dean. Like his ability to understand what's happening, his processing speed, he's, got, he's like the Mac Jones of defenders. It's just quicker than everybody else. And that, that buys you so much more time. Like that's why he's getting to places before other defenders. It's not because Jordan Davis is in front of him at college. It's because he's reading the play before other people. There's, you know, I posted some highlights of his to, to TikTok, and there are plays where like he's beating the running back to the hole. Right? The running back knows where he's going. Like He knows the play. N'Kobe Dean doesn't. He's reacting to the play, but he's reading it before the running back and getting to the spot. Is this your, your viral TikTok? Viral TikTok, yeah. What's it like to go viral on, uh, on TikTok? Yeah, it's all right. Sam Monson I talks. imagine I'll know again when we do the, uh, the Jackson Mahomes dance. Oh, yeah. You'll, yeah. Be, you'll be as viral as it gets. Uh, so the other um, – I, I just want to touch on the Eagles, too. First off, Renner made a really good point. I heard him say Jordan Davis gets to learn how to bull rush from one of the best as far as Fletcher Cox. They're on the same defensive line. I think on our post-game video, I went through all of the defensive linemen that the Eagles have right now. At defensive tackle, they still have Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox. Add Jordan Davis to the mix. Milton Williams is a bit of a tweener there. And then they're four deep at defensive end with Brandon Graham. They bring in Hassan Reddick. They have Josh Sweat. They have Derek Barnett. I I wonder if they're going to actually roll into the season with all of those guys. I mean, Brandon Graham... Our friend getting a little bit older there. Do they end up trying to trade one of these guys? They did re-sign Josh Sweat and Derek Barnett. So what are they going to do? But they're they're deep on that defensive line. But this is how Howie Roseman, their GM, likes to build the team, right? We're never going to run out of defensive linemen, and we're never going to rebuild the offensive line. We're always going to look a year ahead, which is why they drafted Andre Dillard a year ahead of Jason Peters. Moving on at left tackle, even though that hasn't worked out exactly as planned, um, and getting Cam Jurgens to come in and eventually replace Jason Kelsey. So 
The Eagles have a strategy, which is win in the trenches, never be weak at offensive line or defensive line. You saw that in those first couple picks. They have the A.J. Brown move. Again, I, I think any team in the first round, all the way up to number one with the Jaguars, I think that would be a good move. If you said, with your first round pick, you can have the rights to A.J. Brown and the rights to pay him for four or five years at $25 million per year, uh, sign me up for that. And I, I love that move. I think it's a... I think it's the right move for the Eagles, in particular with Jalen Hurts still on his rookie contract, pairing A.J. Brown with Devontae Smith. You have to factor that in. That is a huge part of the Eagles draft hall, their strategy, and I think they're a contender next year, man. They were a low-end playoff team this year, and they're absolutely a contender. And if for nothing else, they're going to learn in year three with Jalen Hurts, they're going to start to figure out if he's a long-term contract guy or or are we just going to play out these last couple years and, and move on. All that said, they still have two first-rounders next year. So yeah. they have made plays, I think, the Eagles to compete for this year, still compete for next year, still be in the quarterback market if needed. And they're two years removed from what felt like a massive overhaul. And I think they've accelerated that overhaul with the way they've built this team. Yeah, and remember, we've talked a lot about how um, Philadelphia has made a lot of really smart procedural moves in the last several years and a lot of them haven't worked out well for them you know so they're roseman's been under criticism it generally they've taken more crap than they perhaps should have for the way that they've operated things the aj brown move is a way of getting around some of that right so they still needed a wide receiver javante smith might be the only one they've taken recently that's hit and even he it's like well is the physicality going to be a concern great route runner love how he separates they're still a little bit missing. He might not be that number one guy. And obviously, you know, J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, and Jalen Rager haven't worked. So uh, they still need a wide receiver. They could have taken one with a first-round pick. They could have jumped right back into that the way a lot of teams have. Or they can say, do we really want to take another swing at it and gamble when we could just flip the pick and pay a lot of money to A.J. Brown and just be done with it? Now we know A.J. Brown, awesome, and Devontae Smith. So – I think there's something to be said for paying for that certainty of not having to gamble at something you've taken a few swings and missed that recently. Can we go really galaxy brain theory here for a minute? Two years ago, the Eagles drafted Jalen Rager in the first round, Mm -hmm. who we thought was a better prospect than he's shown. So that's obviously been a miss, and they missed on Justin Jefferson. But they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. Yes. And got trashed for it, right? Because you have Carson Wentz, you don't need a QB, and all that stuff. At the time, I liked the move because... I didn't love Jalen Hurts as a prospect. All I said was, he's probably going to be a good backup. There's a chance that he becomes a starter. And if he becomes a starter, that's really valuable. Now, what happened was, it made the starting quarterback really sad, Carson Wentz. Mm. He did have the worst season of his career, and it was the worst starting quarterback. But there was, it led to them trading Carson Wentz, getting a first-round pick for him. Yeah, why is the TV on? I don't know. Why are the puppies on the screen? It's uh, Kelly and Ryan, huh? Yeah. Wait, is Strahan not on that anymore? I don't know. Isn't that Strahan show? All right. Anyway, so they traded. I had a great point. I was They traded Carson Wentz for a first-round pick. Yes. And now with all these extra first-round picks, eventually get to A.J. Brown. All yeah. while upgrading or at least staying even at quarterback, but cheaper when it right. comes to, I mean, to Jalen Hurts. Somebody netted out the, like, when you consider that they've essentially turned Carson Wentz into the following. It's phenomenal for Philadelphia. So all, all I want to say is 
that was the justification from me a couple of years ago for picking Jalen Hurts in the second round is he either becomes a backup, he becomes a valuable commodity because some team wants to trade for him, or in this particular case, they kept him and they traded Carson Wentz and all of these different things led to eventually A.J. Brown in the first round and this extra draft capital to have that flexibility. So I think it's great. I mean, I think it's a fantastic job by the Eagles here. Yeah, I just, I love that. Certainly those first three picks, I think, are an absolutely phenomenal haul. And then when you add in the A.J. Brown move on top of it, and ultimately, A.J. Brown, you know, four years, $100 million essentially, he didn't, they didn't have to go as far as the Tyreek Hill contract. Like, they didn't put it, you know, it wasn't the very, it's not top of the market deal. It's right below that, but it's not top, top of the market. So even then, it's a move they can afford to make, particularly when you consider how cheap the rest of that wide receiver room is. I just think this is, this is as well as it could have gone for Philadelphia. I think we're starting to get to the point where a receiver at 20 to $25 million is valuable if you don't have to go to 30. And, and the difference between that is like another player, right, right? at a different yeah. position. Yeah, I mean, so, $5 million a year. It sounds like nothing, but like there are starters that are going to yeah. earn that. Um, um, Kyron I, Johnson, undersized edge in the sixth round. He had a nice showing at the Senior Bowl, a couple bull rushes on uh, Trevor Penning that have gone viral, Grant Calcaterra, a couple undersized edges and tight ends just to round out the draft here. yeah so i gave the eagles an a plus they're one of the a pluses i gave out you gave out i did you had your own grades i do they were PF- on the show yesterday oh yeah so you gave an a plus renner gave an a mm-hmm. and overall eagles number three number three gpa and uh the last team in the nfc east right yeah yeah washington commanders the command they finished a little bit lower so they finished 26th in the overall GPA, Thor Nystrom, D minus. Like the third worst. Not the worst. No. Tied for third worst with the Patriots for Thor. And uh, we had them with a C plus. C plus, there it is. That was one of the worst ones we handed out. Yeah. And I think mine was worse still. Uh, what did I give him? Well, you don't C like minus. Jahan, you don't like Jahan Dotson. Yeah, C minus. So explain. Uh, Washington gets. Jahan Dotson in the first round, Fedarian Mathis in the second round from Alabama. Um, again, but like Dotson higher than we had him. Yeah, I mean their whole Mathis draft. Mathis higher than we had him. Their whole draft was reaches. Brian Robinson, their third pick is a Sam, running back. Sam Howell. And then Sam Howell in the fifth round might might salvage everything someday. Yeah. So okay, the Jahan Dotson thing to start with. Now, number one, it's fair to point out that at that point in the draft, a lot of wide receivers had already gone. Um, it's a weird group of wide receivers. You said that before. And I honestly think there's a chance that four different teams this year got the number one wide receiver on their board. I think the Saints with Olave. I think Detroit with Jamison Williams. Uh, Atlanta, obviously, with, with Drake London. And then the Jets with Garrett Wilson. I think all four of those teams got the number one wide receiver on their draft board, given the stylistic differences and how aggressive each team was to go after them. I don't think that's the case with Jahan Dotson, even though the Washington's drafted him like, you know, a round higher than most people were planning on him going. Um, but the fact that all those guys had gone means if you're taking a wide receiver and you're Washington, you're, you're running kind of out of options. But even so, that doesn't save it. Like, that, that's why you don't make that pick. It's like, well, if there's no value there, then why are you taking a wide receiver? So the fact that they've taken Jahan Dotson at 16 either means – that the process was horrendous and they panicked and they just massively reached at a position of need, which is bad. Or it means that they believe that Jahan Dotson is capable of something wildly different to what a lot of people do and certainly what I do. Um, I don't think that he has 
sort of high-end outside receiver potential. When I watch his tape, I don't see a ton of I don't see a ton of great beyond hands. He's got incredible. He might have the best hands in the draft. It's him or George Pickens, I think. Doesn't drop many. Great hand-eye coordination, all those kinds of things. Um, but I just don't love much else. Like, um, uh, who's the perception reception guy? Matt Harmon. Harmon. Matt yeah. Harmon. Matt Harmon's thing, you know, says that reception perception for anyone that doesn't know he goes through and charts these guys individually against you know all sorts of things routes uh, man's own coverage all this kind of thing and, and the pff grades do similar um says dotson essentially is the best guy against zone coverage right which is fine but zone coverage essentially is you know sitting in an open space like it's an, it's an intellectual exercise and most people should be good against zone coverage and specifically, if you're not good against man coverage, it means, like, do you necessarily have the skill set to be an NFL wide receiver at a high level? Like, you expect good NFL wide receivers to be good against zone coverage because it's not that hard, right? Um, kind of like corners. I mean, it's easier, even though there's a different skill set to it. Yeah, I wouldn't. There's something to receivers, though, that just have a feel for the game. Let's not dismiss that. I'm not dismissing Because there are guys that don't have that. But it's a bit like... It's a bit like the if the first thing you're telling me is the guy's a contested catch monster, it means he's probably not a very good wide receiver. If the first thing you're telling me about a guy is he's great finding space in zones, like, he's, he's not good. Well, the first thing you're probably going to talk about with Jahan Dotson is his hands and ball skills. So he at least has that. I think that's the best thing he does. He, he catches the ball when it's there, <laughs> right? Yeah. But he also, like, anything above his – you know where he's really good catching the ball? Above his head. Who's your quarterback? This is this you you we were trying to figure out the uh, the Cam Newton yeah how do you uh, get a guy that Cam Newton calibrator can, can overthrow yeah Jahan Dotson's a good Cam Newton calibrator well sort of because he catches the ball really well over his hands oh over his head yeah so he but does. he's only five eleven so that's only taken him so far oh, I know but I'm just saying he does he does do some other things well but I don't think he's the best route runner he's not the best at anything he's just solid receiver no, and you're and getting look, that in the middle of the first round yeah the the thing about it is so. I'm really low on Jahan Dotson relative to other people. But Mike Renner had him 56 on the PFF big board. Even by the consensus board, he was number 31 overall. There are, there's a broad spectrum of opinion on Jahan Dotson. The boss, Chris Collinsworth, loves him. You know, loves that, that he's always in the right place, that he understands the game. He's obviously smart and knows how to play wide receiver. Loves that. Uh, and there are other people out there that do as well, notably, obviously, Washington. But... I just I don't see it. When you look at his tape, I don't see the things that are special that work at the next level. Um, in like when you looked at players like Devontae Smith or Jerry Judy, and the thing, and even this year with the two Ohio State guys, their ability before the ball arrives, um, running routes, understanding coverages, uh, understanding how to set up defensive backs and create space, that translates. Simply understanding the play and, like, getting to the right place at the right time, it's fine. But if you can't do the other things, it's not going to take you all the way. And he doesn't always do that. So I just think this is, A, it's a massive reach. And, B, I don't like the player that much. So I, to me, that's a, that's, that's a real, like, drag factor on what I would give this draft as an overall grade. And then almost every other pitch or pick was a reach relative to the board as well. So Dotson will slot in as their two opposite Terry McLaurin. Yep. And, and that's where Dotson, I mean, you're hoping he becomes a two, right? And is, do you even think he could become a high-end number two? 
receiver. If you're taking this guy at 16 overall, you have to have some pretty lofty expectations of what he can do. Clearly, I don't. Th- I think he's going to be inferior to Terry McLaurin. Right. I mean, forget about like the labeling of one and two and all that stuff. But, but you're expecting be... like a significant complimentary piece at 16 overall. I just wonder if it was a need pick because everybody else is off, and you're like, you know, same mentality I have. We're not letting Carson Wentz roll out there without really good playmakers. We've got to take a receiver. It felt like a bit of a need pick, but like you said, Chris Collinsworth, the boss, sometimes represents the NFL, like what, how the NFL right. views players. He really liked Dotson, and I don't think he thought it was crazy in the middle of the first. No, but this happened like, so when you're talking, oh, can he become like a new, this happened four picks after Jamison Williams, who will be Detroit's number one. It happened six picks after Garrett Wilson, who's going to be the New York Jets' number one. Like, that's where you're, that's where you need him to be if you're taking him that high. And he isn't. He's not going to be that. Yeah, it's higher than I would have taken him as well. So uh, Dotson, he's going to slot in with Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, De'Ami Brown from last year, and whoever else competes for that number four spot. Um, Fedarian Mathis, again, I think I, I think this is, a, this is like a Deron Payne yeah. insurance pick, right? Because the Washington defensive line, you've got Montez Sweat, whose contract will be up, and you've got to pay him. You've got Chase Young. He's going to get paid a ton of money very soon. Jonathan Allen, already making a ton of money. That's your nucleus on that defensive line. Deron Payne is the other recent first-rounder who's, like, you just can't afford Deron Payne, who's probably, he's not great, but he's probably worth 10, 12 million as a nose tackle. Or he might get that on the open market. So Fedarian Mathis comes in, just a good, solid, run-stopping, technique, sound, Alabama defensive lineman, another one that comes in and probably doesn't, I mean, he just plays 20 snaps a game right away, unless there are injuries above uh, ahead of him. But he becomes a a next year insurance play as you know if you let Deron Payne walk. So it's fine, but it's not that exciting in the second round. No, I, I mean generally their draft. It's like the players are not terrible, but they are significant reaches relative to where uh, our board and the consensus board have been. Brian now- going running back with the pick 98 in the third round. Brian Robinson, a guy who's, who's tough, strong, like he's going to do the opposite of what Antonio Gibson did last year as a runner and kind of gets what's there. But again, third round running yeah. back there. And then, so then you get to the Sam Howell pick, right? Sam Howell, a player that I think some people still had as the number one quarterback in this draft, slips all the way to the fifth round. When you look I, Benjamin Robinson's grinding the mock site, you know, retracts the essentially the graph of where players are being mock drafted at. You only have to go back seven months to find a pretty consistent track of Sam Howell number one overall in the draft. So that guy went from number one overall to the fifth round in seven months without like a major reason, right? Like he didn't break a hip. He didn't, you know, get arrested. He didn't do anything crazy that caused his draft stock to just torpedo. He just sank and nobody wanted him and the problem i have with this pick i I think it's a good pick right you pick finally somebody gets sam howell who should have gone a lot higher than that they get him in the fifth round it's great but in terms of like saving the draft or you know improving the grade too much in the fifth round he's in more danger of getting cut not making the roster than he is of challenging carson wentz for a starting spot so I mean, Taylor Heineke's still there. That's what I mean. As a backup. Even if Carson Wentz goes out there and, like, week one gets injured and now you have to turn to the backup. It's not Sam Howell. It's Heineke. And Sam Howell might not be in the roster at that point. That's the – so the guy – the quarterback, the guy that has the potential to move the needle and really change this draft, because you've drafted him in the fifth round, you have zero – you're not tied to him. You have zero commitment, zero investment in him. So – Unless he shows up day one and, like, balls the hell out, 
you're not you're not he's not doing anything for you yeah i mean you got to still go with credit i mean you're, you're taking sam howell on the fifth that's a worthwhile investment we i mean he went after bailey zappy which is madness what does that say about what the nfl feels I mean, look, the theme generally this draft was how much the NFL hates all these quarterbacks. But I, I can see arguments for a lot of these guys getting drafted lower than people thought they would and even generally low. But Sam Howell in the fifth round after Bailey Zappi, I genuinely, is illogical to me. It makes zero sense. Like, even, no matter what way you look at it, whether you're looking at sort of production potential traits none of it it makes that just i liked cannot be argued i don't I, think i like the fact that howell was intriguing as a freshman and as a sophomore he comes out as a junior i heard renner say too our juniors going to re- rethink this thing i, I mean, guys who come out as juniors or in their third year even redshirt sophomores too like the johnny menzels of the world and sam Darnolds of the world they've the, had there's some bad misses there the draft advice committee or whatever that thing is called you know where underclassmen essentially say hey i'm thinking of turning pro where am i going to get drafted and the nfl tells them the broad consensus you should do it in something other than sports sometimes so there should genuinely be like a a review or a you know an investigation what's the word i'm looking for um around sam Howell. what was he told because he had another year of eligibility and he came out and got drafted in the fifth round after, like, seven months ago, as I say, a lot of people were saying he was the number one overall pick. If that dude was told, oh, you're first, second round, and I had to sit here until the top of the fifth, that guy got screwed. But all the consensus, like, the consensus board had him high, like, at least in the second, But right? that committee is supposed to have, you know, the inside info from the NFL teams. Here's the thing I think that was missing, is this entire offseason. I mean, the, the entire offseason is an arms race for quarterbacks or high-end receivers. Right, And it's either you have a high-end quarterback and teams that have that, Mahomes and Rodgers, they were getting rid of high-end receivers to teams that have average to mid-tier-ish type of quarterbacks, and, and that's how teams are trying to win. And there just weren't a lot of quarterback jobs available, A. And B, even if you had a quarterback job available, nobody in this draft class was moving the needle enough to say, oh, here's how we're going to compete with the Russell Wilson move and the Deshaun Watson move and Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill move that's elevating those teams. Here's how we're going to compete with Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter and Kenny Pickett. And like, they're just, these guys weren't needle movers this year in a market that didn't have a ton of need with NFL teams who were just lobbying and positioning themselves to get legitimate top 10 guys. That's where, that's different than the advisory committee saying you're a two. No, I know, but like you're a two in a vacuum so, but the lay of the land, the market just wasn't there for quarterbacks. And maybe we just didn't see it. Enough. We sh- maybe we should have known or should have seen it the way this offseason played out. The, according to the NFL, the College Advisory Committee, which is what that thing is called, um, in the last 10 years has an 86% accuracy rate of uh, telling a guy he's going to be drafted in the first two rounds, I think this is, and hitting on that, right? And in the last couple of years, it's been even higher than that, 96% in 2020, 92% in 2021. So my point is putting out these numbers, the advisory committee, the NFL operations. Uh, My point is simply, somebody needs to find out what the committee told Sam Howell. Because if they told him he was a first or second round pick and he lasts until the fifth, that guy got hosed out of millions of dollars. That's like per PFF. PFF hits on 94% of players. Trust me. 
I mean, look, it's on a very official looking website. There's there's graphs. Trust me. Uh, Troy Vincent has a quote in According there. to the Washington Commanders, the Commanders hit on 100% of draft picks. Just trust us. That's how we've evaluated things. Hmm. All right. Done with the Commanders. Where did they finish? 26th? Yeah, not great, Bob. Looking forward to see what Sam Howell can do there. Um, is that going to make Carson Wentz nervous and sad? Or you got to think is it low fifth. enough? You got to think the fifth is low enough. Do you By think the way, they consulted with Carson Wentz. Hey, we might take a quarterback in the fifth. I tell you what's going to scare him more than that. They brought in Cole Kelly as an undrafted free agent. Oh no, he's bigger. Probably has a better arm. Might have a better arm. No, not than Wentz. Wentz got a cannon. Cole though. Kelly. Cole Kelly's got a better arm than Wentz. Not than Wentz. I'm telling you, got a better arm than Wentz. Trust me. I have to go back to the tape on that. Definitely I have to go back to the tape. That's going to scare him out. You, you look over there and you see, uh, you wouldn't let me call him Fat Josh Allen, but you see that? Hey, look at you. The training you camp? Did. You just did. Wentz is going gonna, gonna to get him jittery. All right, NFC North time. Let's go Chicago Bears. Look, we're halfway through, Sam. About an hour into it. Perfect. Like, almost on pace. Uh, Chicago Bears and their draft. Where did they land? So they land 29th on the consensus GPA board, and we gave them a B- minus. Chicago Bears, another one of those teams, didn't have a first-round pick uh, because of the Justin Field trade last year. So everybody thinks, well, they got lesser players, so we can't grade the draft well. Instead of, instead of grading them based off where they got players, I really liked their first two picks, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. Everybody knows Brisker is one of my guys, one of my players. Uh, model liked him. Ticked the boxes from a production and an athlete, a measurable standpoint. Kyler Gordon, uh, a lot of people had him mocked in the first round. Now, the PFF board, we did have Gordon at 58, so we were actually closer. Mm. We were a little bit lower on Gordon, uh, Renner, and the PFF board overall. But I thought Gordon was a – he's a round one talent. I thought Brisker was a round one talent, to be honest, even though he was 40th on the PFF draft board. What I, what I find interesting here, the offense is trash right now, mm-hmm. right? They don't have receivers. They don't have offensive linemen. Ryan Poles takes over at GM. You've heard me say over and over and over again – it wasn't even – I don't think Matt Nagy screwed Justin Fields as much as people say, right? This roster is just bad. It's just – it's gotten worse. Since they won the division in 2018, it has legitimately gotten worse every single year. This is p- probably rock bottom for this roster. So the starting point is poor. But what I find interesting here is clearly – Year two quarterback, it's Justin Fields. You want to do well by your QB. You got to build that line. You got to get, to get him some playmakers. But Matt Eberflus is the head coach, defensive-minded head coach. And when you're looking for coaches and you have a young quarterback, we always think, who's the, who's the offensive guru? Who's the guru that's going to come in and make Justin Fields the next guy or make Zach Wilson or Trevor, whatever it is? They went defensive head coach, and their first two draft picks are on the defensive side of the ball. And I do wonder how much – Eberflus with Ryan Poles, how much that influenced thing, everything. And by the way, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker, I think, are fantastic fits for the Eberflus defense. So I think these are going to be very good players, but I know that the people that had the Bears low in their draft grades are doing it because what about Justin Fields? Who's protecting him and who's he throwing to? Yeah, I, I don't think you can conclude from the moves the Chicago Bears have made that they have any faith in Justin Fields. It, look at their offense, just on paper right now, right? Receivers, Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, David Moore, Equinemius St. Brown, Vilas Jones Jr. now, tight end Ryan Griffin, Cole Komet, offensive line, Tevin Jenkins, Cody Whitehair, Sam Mustafer, Lucas Patrick, Larry Barham, Justin Fields, and then David Montgomery in the backfield. 
That is a dumpster fire on paper. And they just passed up any opportunity to make it better until the Vilas Jones pick um, in, what, the third round. So Who's a decent player but 25 years old. Right. And, and didn't break out until, like, what, year six of college or something crazy. One of the oldest prospects you're going to find. The point being, though, they, you cannot conclude that they have any faith in Justin Fields from that. You simply can't. If you had any faith in Justin Fields, you would not risk. You would do everything. Like, look, every other team that's got a quarterback of in year two, whether or not they played particularly well last year, is doing everything they can to surround that guy with something better, whether it's Jacksonville – the Giant or the the Jets, um, New England, or I we can debate theirs a bit later. But you know they at least hit. They at least went after offensive linemen. Um, Trey Lance. Okay, the 49ers are in a weird spot because of what's happening there. But every team is is trying to make the offense better. And the the Bears have the lowest ebb of any of these teams in terms of talent and went defense defense. I I, I disagree that this has anything to do with Justin. How could it not? Because you're working with one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Yes. And the thought process, I think Ryan Poles is coming in and just saying, it's a multi-year rebuild. Okay. It's a multi-year rebuild, and I'm not going to just— But it feels— it, I'm not just going to draft offense just because I have a second-year quarterback. But it I'm feels- going to take the best players for our team. And here's the other thing. The Bears came in. Ryan Poles comes in, and the roster's terrible. They don't necessarily have the best cap flexibility— and they have no draft picks. They had like six draft picks, or five draft picks as of a few weeks ago. They drafted 11 times. That was something we've talked about here. When we were fixing every team in five minutes, I said, trade down, trade down, trade down. You need to get talent on this roster, even if it is day three talent, okay? They went with this strategy. They traded Khalil Mack, right? We're not going to win this year. We're trading Khalil Mack. We're getting whatever we can in return for Khalil Mack. And you're sitting there at 39 and 48. Yeah, you could have taken an offensive lineman or you could have taken the next receiver or whatever it is. But it's a multi-year rebuild, and you're, you have to build the defense too okay, because but- the secondary is not good. You don't have a good pass rush. You don't have a good offensive line. You don't have good receivers. You don't have good anything. Right. So they're just getting whoever the best players are. So, number one, if Justin Fields isn't going to be there next year if he stinks this year. If he's terrible this year, Justin Fields is gone. They're looking for another quarterback. So what you do now materially impacts whether or not he's even in the picture for this multi-year rebuild. Number two, if you need everything, then focus on the area that impacts the most important player on your team. The most important player on your team is Justin Fields because he's quarterback. And he's the one guy that can catapult this team to somewhere different if he's good. Right? This is why... You go after the QB because if he hits, he can change the impact of your franchise in a way nobody else can, even if that guy is dramatically better. So grabbing players that change whether or not Justin Fields can be good is way more important than just adding a safety who happens to be a good player to a defense that needs everything. I just – I don't think you can possibly conclude that the way they've acted, not just in this draft but since the new regime came in, that they have any faith whatsoever in Justin Fields. This is an approach that, we, what, from what we've seen from Fields, he is not good enough to make me change how I believe you should construct a roster if I'm doing a complete teardown and rebuild, right? If I'm building this thing from the ground up, this is how I do it, and I've seen nothing from Fields to make me suggest I should deviate from that plan. If he shows me anything different this year, fine, we might I, adjust. I, but think right it really, now, I think it really could be because Ibrithus is a defensive coach. 
in that they because you could tell the, the wide receiver signings that the Bears had David Moore, St. Uh, Equinumia, St. Brown, and Byron Pringle, who you listed, they signed them all to one year contracts. Right. right, it's a whole bunch of one year deals and placeholders. This is kind of how the Lions built their receiving core last year. Yes. Right? I think they went into the offseason and said, "This thing's a mess. We're gonna spend. We're gonna we're gonna lean more defense first. It will hit the offense next year." Right. So Justin Fields is their um, Jared Goff. He's the sacrificial lamb, and if he shows you something dramatically better than you're expecting, it might change plans. But you are there because I haven't found a quarterback yet. I, I just don't know if it means that they don't believe in Justin Fields. I think if they had any belief in him whatsoever, they would have I also, attacked this differently. I think there's also part of the strategy where they feel like because they did they took Braxton Jones a tackle in round five, Zachary Thomas a tackle in round six, Doug Kramer interior offensive lineman. Uh, another tackle in round. They drafted all their offensive linemen on day three, pretty much. I think they think they could steal a starter or two from that. And the Valus Jones is going to contribute. I mean, maybe, but they but... just but they went value at the top with Brisker and Gordon because they're great fits for the scheme, and the secondary is just as bad as the offense is. Yes, it is just as bad, but the point being, it doesn't help the quarterback. But you're not just helping the quarterback. You are trying to make the Bears better overall. We talk about offense all the time here, right? And yes, I would lean offense over defense first. But you're never, you're never like completely neglecting the defense. You have to build the whole team. Right, but what, but what do we keep talking about? Quarterbacks that have these situations that are so bad, they can't possibly be expected to show anything. Justin Fields right now is... So maybe their run. expectations are low. We got no expectations for Justin Fields because we knew we didn't do, him, do well by him. We'll get to that in year three. He's still going to be our guy, presumably, unless it's just an absolute disaster. he won't di- be because disaster. they'll stink and they'll be picking in the top five and there'll be a quarterback available and they'll go, well, Justin Fields hasn't shown us anything. Well, no, he won't so stink. We'll it was all Nagy's fault. It was Nagy's fault. It doesn't year. matter. They'll be in a position to draft a quarterback and they'll have seen nothing from Fields to show them they shouldn't do that, so Justin Fields will be gone. The point being... It wasn't his fault because he was playing on the worst offense in the NFL. If you had any faith that he was different than that, you would be making an attempt to surround him with better players. And you're not. Therefore, they have no faith in Justin Fields. And by the way, there's nothing to say they should. This is a different regime than the one that drafted him. Justin Fields didn't play that well last year. Flashed huge potential. But a huge amount of the Justin Fields narrative right now is based on the status that he had in some people's minds when they were evaluating him as a prospect, which is Trevor Lawrence-esque. Should he be the number two overall pick? Oh, people are idiots. He he fell to number 11. Like, if you didn't like Justin Fields that much in the first place, he didn't show you anything to suggest you were wrong. You're one. So let me me acknowledge that, too. I don't – so I don't think this 100% ironclad determines that they're not – they're not believers in Justin Fields. I would also lean toward there's probably a better than 50% chance that they aren't believers in Justin Fields just because of how the, the way the NFL valued him last year, right? Weren't there, there were enough QB needy teams that passed on Justin Fields, right? And there was enough teams that were kind of like on the fence and iffy and Poles and Eberflus are coming from, from different places, right? Where they probably did have completely different evaluation obviously they had completely different evaluations on justin fields and maybe the bears only traded up to get him because not because they loved him but because hey he was the guy they liked more than mac jones at that point he was the fourth he was still the fourth quarterback off the board Mm -hmm. last year and i think that's telling 
as far as where the NFL valued Justin Fields. So we'll see. There could be something to that. Maybe the Bears really just want to move on from him and they want to trade him to a team that's QB needy. Like, if they really don't believe in Justin Fields, call the Panthers. Like, call, call the teams that – call the Seahawks. Go ahead. Complete the rebuild. Yeah. Really start from scratch if to, you don't believe in Fields. I don't, me, think that, I, don't, I don't think that's the truth, though. I, I, I don't think that they I, – I think they, are, they want to see – a year of Justin Fields, but I don't think they're completely sold. If they want to see, so I, to me, there's one of two things happening. Either they have zero faith in Justin Fields, which is what I believe is probably the case at this point, or like you say, they still think that Justin Fields could be the guy and they want to see a year of it, in which case this is a bad draft because they did nothing to enable him to do that. This is still the worst offense in the NFL on paper by actually quite a distance, and you are going to get zero useful evaluation of Justin Fields from this team next year. So it's a bad draft. I don't care if, it w- if you would have given up a little bit of player-by-player player value. They could have reached for players relative to the board and attacked areas that would have materially changed your evaluation on Justin Fields this year. That is a better draft to me. The whole roster is bad. You draft the best players. As far as, what, as far as that goes, I love Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker, where they got them. That, that was fine. Phelous Jones, fine. See what he does early on. An older older prospect, as we said. Late breakout, but he's got some receiving skills. He'll have a path to the field, given the fact that it's a whole bunch of one-year free agents there. And then it's all developmental uh, offensive linemen. Or very a lot of, of developmental offensive linemen in the second round there. And the second, day three. Uh, Dominique Robinson has, some, has a, a little bit of juice off the edge. They got him at 174. We had him at 81. And, you know, that could be a nice play there with Khalil Mack going on. He's got a chance to contribute. So, I don't know. I think the Bears found some contributors. They've got some potential upside on day three, and I think they got two starters with their first two picks. They also drafted a punter. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to get skill position as special teamers at some point. They drafted the uh, 52nd graded punter in 2021. Oh, that's a different story. You good with the Bears? Yeah. In your theories? Detroit Lions up next. Uh, first off, what did I say with the Bears? Where did they go? They were down the bottom, 29th. In the they were 29th. Consensus. We went B-. minus. Detroit Lions up next. Uh, they were fifth in the consensus, A-plus, per the PFF staff. Mm. Uh, Renner must not have looked at the trade chart on that Jameson Williams trade. Which one? Uh, that's a good point. So Lions are up next. Uh, thought there was a lot to like there. Make a, they got Aiden Hutchinson, of course, at number two. So this is another one. Like, how much credit do you give a team for that? Fine. I, perfect credit. Um, again, this is another thing we talked about off-air that I think is worth bringing up, that I think the fact that teams are now using multiple trade charts is the reason there are so many trades at the moment. Before, when everybody essentially was using the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, the thing you can find if you Google with the, the exponential points numbers from number one all the way down, um, it's kind of hard to find a trade that both teams agree to because everyone wants to win a trade, right? And if you're both working from the same chart, you now need to spend half an hour throwing in random-ass picks so that you meet you know, almost exactly in the middle, I plus or minus five points either way. So that's why you have these picks where it's like, oh, we're going to need the fourth back and move in the fifth and let's swap picks in the seventh and we got to make, make it match so that both teams are happy. If you have two teams using completely different trade charts, the Jimmy Johnson trade chart and then either PFF's model or the Spielberger-Fitzgerald trade chart, the ones that factor in 
sort of um, where these picks have historically led to production and war and all these kinds of things, they're actually quite divergent. And you can get a scenario like this Minnesota-Detroit trade for Jamison Williams where depending on the chart you use, either side wins fairly significantly, right? So it's entirely plausible that now teams will execute trades and both teams will think that they won the trade based off the data and the charts that they're using. That never happened if everybody was using the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. Like, right. everyone could see. It's one team, either won or lost this trade, or it's, it's a wash. And, and every just, team uses the Jimmy Johnson chart to at least have a baseline and know what right. the other teams are at least thinking, but they're going to have their other chart that they're going to rely on and say, we prefer this one. But now you definitely have some teams that still primarily use that chart you, and have other teams that don't at all. And Spielberger I think, Fitzgerald is in there. Yeah, and I think now PFF you, chart. you're going to have a bunch of trades where both teams think they win, and that's why you're seeing more of them because everybody like because teams – Teams with different charts are trading with each other at a much higher rate. So as we talked it out on our round one review, and I'm just reading the trade, because we'll talk Lions here too, because the Lions and Vikings traded with each other. And the Lions uh, traded up from 32 to 12. They gave up 32, 34, and 66, right? What was it, 30? No, it was 32. They, um, they flipped second rounders with the Vikings. The Vikings moved up like 12 spots. And then the Vikings got pick 66. So it was three picks for two. At the time, as I was reading it out, I was like, man, the Lions dropped from 12 to 32. That is a big drop. And then the Viking, and then they only dropped, the Lions, to do this, the Lions only dropped about 12 spots in the second round and gave up an early three, pick 66. And that was, the Jimmy Johnson chart crushed it. They thought that the Lions dominated that draft. The PFF chart came back and said, actually, if you're using war and projected war, the Vikings crushed this because our, our chart is essentially always going to value players over, you know, nothing, right? Having more players. The other part is we factored in not having a quarterback, right? We say, is it a quarterback? Is it not a quarterback? That does change the math on it. So the fact that the Vikings got three picks for the Lions two had the Vikings win in that trade. Now, on the surface, I'm still thinking, okay, 12 to 32, that's a massive drop for the Vikings. The other thing that teams are getting pretty keen to is the drop-off from 10 to 20 and into the 20s actually isn't that drastic. Like, that is actually when the value starts to even off a little bit in the first round. So there's not a big difference between 10 and 30, say, historically as far as picks go. And I'm, st- I'm still a doubter here. I'm still a doubter for the, from like, for the Vikings case. Let me make the Vikings case now that we see who the players were. They got Lewis Seen, the safety out of Georgia with 32. They got Andrew Booth, a first-round caliber corner at 42. And then they got uh, linebacker Brian Asamoah, number 48 on our board. They got him at 66. So the case for the Vikings is, will Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth, and Brian Asamoah, by the way, all could start right away. The, the case is for all those three guys to be more valuable than the two picks, say, that the Lions got, Jamison Williams, Josh Pascal, guy I like, you know, on the edge that they got in the second round. I could see the Vikings case here, right? I mean, if you use war, you'd probably get, you know, say these things pan out okay, two-tenths of a win, 0.2.2.2 for the three players that the Vikings got. Jameson Williams is probably even a 0.3 type of guy, 
And Pascal, a point one. I mean, just using the math, you probably got more wins above replacement in the three players that the Vikings got versus James Williams and Josh Pascal. So I think from the Vikings' standpoint, they're excited, they're good. So there's a little bit of Vikings analysis in the Lions' discussion here. In the Lions' discussion, though, if Jamison Williams is what we think he is, he transcends war, right? He's the war is production based, but Jamison Williams is the force multiplying speed receiver, the Deshaun Jackson, the Will Fuller that makes everything else better. So I also see the justification from the Lions' standpoint too to to take a chance on this type of receiver. Does that yeah. all make sense? I mean, <clears throat> for their for their draft, Aiden Hutchinson a two can't i mean that couldn't have gone any better uh again like i think you just you don't need to give them credit for it as in oh well the lions did an amazing thing here you know took some real brain power to make that pick once they once the jags took trayvon walker but you give them credit for getting aiden hutchinson like they have gone into a draft where a couple of weeks ago that didn't look even remotely on the table and they've got arguably the number one player in the draft at number two can't literally can't do better than that um then trading up for Jamison Williams, as you say, depending on the trade chart you use, you can easily convince yourself that Detroit won this trade, even if it's a, a slight loss, depending on the other chart. Jamison Williams has game-transforming speed. And I only realized, like, at the draft time, we never – guy never ran a 40 towards ACL, so we have no idea, like, how fast he is. But you turn on his tape, and he, he has completely – he's one of those guys that has – completely different speed to even second fast gear guys. is silly like there are very few players where you turn on the tape and it's it's a different type of speed it's not just fast but like Tyreek Hill is at a different level than everybody else on the field even fast guys you see him like jogging run down quick players and Chris Johnson back in the day that guy had a kind of speed that changed angles People would take normal angles to a fast guy, and he was already gone through the gap by the time they arrived. Jamison Williams has the same thing. He can just cruise past people and rack up five yards of separation. That is hugely valuable. Um, So the Lions getting those two guys in the first round, fantastic haul. And then, unlike a few other teams who then went off the rails later on with their picks, the Lions kept adding good players at good value. So I think this is a really good draft. I like it a lot. I mean, Josh Pascal, I, I, I do really like him. He's an excellent run defender. Uh, he reminds me of an old-school Sam linebacker, even though he's bigger than the old-school Sam linebacker, but a guy that like you put him head up on a tight end, he's going to wreck him in the running game. He does have some pass rush potential. I think he's more of a safer run stopper. But I think if you do look at the Lions and how they've built uh, that edge defender group, they re-signed Charles Harris. Of course, they just drafted Aiden Hutchinson. Romeo Aquara comes back, and now you add Pascal to the mix. A lot of different skill sets in there, but Pascal can be that if they play more of those odd fronts, and you know Pascal could be that kind of like that old school Sam or like strong side three four outside linebacker type. I think Kirby Joseph at safety is really good value. We had him at seventy three on the board. They get him at ninety seven. He had a breakout year last year, ninety plus PFF grade, excellent ball skills, more of a true free safety, um, and that was a need, right? They brought back Tracy Walker. The spot opposite Walker was a big question mark. I think you have a starter. In, in Kirby Joseph in round three. I mean, I think you're talking four starters with their first four picks. Pascal's more, probably a rotational player in the current depth chart, but eventually starts. Mm-hmm. Um, even a Malcolm <coughs> Ro- uh, Rodriguez 
productive Oklahoma State linebacker. You get him in the sixth. James Houston, former uh, Florida transfer, goes to Jackson State, had a 95 pass rushing grade. You get him uh, at the FCS level, but you get him uh, in the sixth round. So uh, I think there's, I think they had a good day one, day two, and day three, we'll say, for the Lions. Yeah. No, this is one of my favorite drafts. Um, I, th- I think the Lions did a great job. As I said, some of it was can't miss, you know, that things fell into their lap in a great way. But ultimately, that is part of having a great draft. Sometimes you get lucky and you get opportunities that you didn't think you were going to have. Do you, uh, do you have a feeling on that trade from the Lions' perspective in or what? the Vikings' pr- perspective? Everything I, I laid out, essentially three picks for two, the Lions moving up from 32 to 12 probably jumping for joy like wow we just moved up 20 spots in the first round yeah i mean look i think both teams are happy um which is why the trade happened like the the more advanced charts would tell you that the chances are the vikings end up winning this trade down the line but the lions are looking at this and saying we got jameson williams who there's a pretty good chance jameson williams was the number one wide receiver on their board and we got him as well as getting Aiden Hutchinson at number two overall. I love what the this payoff could literally be couldn't have gone better for us. Like if you're Detroit, you are over the freaking moon how that panned out, and are perfectly happy with the idea that you might have lost the trade value chart slightly. You know the more advanced ones overall because the chances are that guy isn't going to be quite the player that you thought he was. Amonra St. Brown, awesome season last year as a rookie. They got DJ Chark as a speed guy now for one year, so he's not part of the long-term plan, but Jameson Williams is in there as your, as your deep threat now to pair with Amonra St. Brown. So that receiving core is starting to move forward. Are you surprised the Lions didn't take any quarterback once they all fell? Um, a little bit, but... You were, I mean, you were of the mind, like, next year. You were a big next year for the Lions quarterback well, guy. Only if, so my point all along has been, this has clearly been, this has been maybe the longest project I can remember a team voluntarily undertaking in terms of we're going to tear this thing down we're going to build it up and it's not going to happen right away they still have a first rounder next year right this is next, i mean two first yeah rounders. this is a project we're going to be good but it's not going to be for like three years i can't remember a team voluntarily like committing to that kind of schedule right even rebuilds it's like you get two years and then you better be winning games say, a lot of them say what you want about jared goff but he has been a good quarterback at various points in his career last year's supporting cast was pretty much terrible until St. Brown broke out. If Jameson Williams comes out there and is healthy, the offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. Do they think that they can win with Goff? Maybe. Just to I think... get him to 2018-19 type of level of play? Because if they do, they're at least competitive. The broader point is that clearly the NFL as a collective just hated this group of quarterbacks. And at which point, if you're Detroit, you're not necessarily committed to taking the quarterback this year. Okay, if you loved a Malik Willis or whatever, you could take him in the second round, or bottom of the first, wherever you wanted to take him. You could have grabbed Malik Willis, and he could have been your guy of the future. But evidently, the entire league thinks this group stinks. And if that's the case, they already have Jared Goff. Jared Goff gets better the better the team is for you. Um, and next year is when you can target the real answer at quarterback, which may well have been the plan all along. Like, in this long-term rebuild project, year three might have been when the quarterback is supposed to arrive in the first place, at which point I have no problem and, in fact, would endorse just sticking with the game plan. All right, Detroit Lions, A by P- uh, A-plus for, from, from Renner at PFF, fifth in the consensus GPA. Let's go to the Green Bay Packers. Where are they, right in the middle of the pack there? Yeah, 14th. Uh, PFF giving the Packers a B-plus. 
and right in the middle, 14th, as I said, in the consensus GPA. Uh, Packers going with the two defensive players from Georgia to kick things off in the first round. No first-round receiver for for Aaron Rodgers. Keep those stats alive. But they did trade up to get Christian Watson at pick 34, second pick of the second round. So you get Watson in round two. Sean Ryan, third-round tackle slash guard. Uh, we'll see if he kicks into guard, but he played tackle at UCLA. Romeo Dubes, fourth-round receiver. He could maybe see some snaps. So they went more volume route as far as receiver. And Zach Tom, too, potential steal in round four, uh, 64th on the PFF draft board. They get him at 140. I like a lot of what the Packers did uh, beyond round one. I still don't love the Quay Walker pick there at 22 overall, but it's hard to hate on Quay Walker overall. I think he's just going to be a solid player, but we'll see. Yeah, generally I like this draft in terms of the players they got. What I don't like is the process that they did it with. Um, The Quay Walker pick in particular. Like People made the point that if you actually turn those picks upside down and tell me they got Devontae Wyatt at 22 and Quay Walker at 28, it looks better. And it does, but that is part of the problem. Like when you, I still probably wouldn't have taken Quay Walker in the first round in general. I don't know where that hype came from other than athleticism. Right. And it, it almost feels like that fed like it almost feels like that was self perpetuating. Like all of a sudden, this buzz started to go around about Quay Walker, and that seems to have like there's talk that Jacksonville traded back in for Devin Lloyd because they were expecting to draft Quay Walker, and he wasn't there. It's like quick panic, let's do this. Um, and it, again, it felt like other teams were like, oh, we really liked Quay Walker in the second, but now if we like him, we got to take him in the first. Um, so, but when you have Green Bay had one of the biggest glaring needs of any team at any position in the draft. Obviously, wide receiver. You trade away Devontae Adams. You need to fix that somehow. And you have those two low first-round picks, and you have moves in the second round as well. Uh, I understand they're in a a difficult spot given how many wide receivers had already gone at that point, right? At that stage, we had had, what, six wide receivers taken? Uh, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Six in the first 18. Yeah, Yeah. Jahan Dotson and Traylon Burks. So at the point Green Bay is picking, 22 overall, those wide receivers are gone. Um, so you have to do something, uh, at which point I would have no problem if they'd taken Devontae Wyatt with the first pick, 22. That takes you all the way to 28, at which point the difference now, now it's harder to argue at that point that, well, the value isn't there because you drafted Christian Watson at 34, which is only six picks later, and you traded up to get him. So if he's worth 34 and a trade up, he's worth 28, No. I feel like you're talking yourself in circles here. Sam. I'm not. Look, they got. If if you're saying, well, they should have taken Christian Watson at 28. How is that? Because I'm arguing the process, not the picks they got. I would argue that the process was sound because they. This is this is like the opposite of the Cole Strange thing. No, right? the first pick, the very first pick they made, they've taken a player that is not a position of need, that is a reach relative to everybody oh, else's board. Need doesn't play into this. Need should not be a factor. Of here. course, need should be a factor. No. How could need not be a factor? Because needs change daily you just and trade you're not it away. just filling out your roster. Needs aren't changing when you trade away Devontae Adams and have no wide receivers of consequence. You have a need to fill wide receiver. 
you're, you can argue that at 22 overall, the value doesn't match the need. So I'm okay with taking somebody other than a wide receiver at 22 because you have other positions you can fill and because you have a pick six picks later at 28. You wanted to take Tyler Linderbaum to the Bills with no place to play, but go ahead. Because the Bills have a roster that doesn't have no wide receivers on it. Carry on. They have a position at some point having a really good player is worth taking when you don't have a glaring need to fill like Buffalo. So I'm okay with taking somebody at 22. It wouldn't be Quay Walker, and I think that's a big mistake. Then at 28, I think, is when you do take the wide receiver because you have needs and you're already about to make a trade up to grab a guy six spots later. So just take the wide receiver at 28. But they got Devontae Wyatt, and then they ended up getting the receiver that you're saying you should have taken at 28. They still got him at 34. Because they needed to trade up to make that happen. This is why I'm criticizing the process. So you're just, you just wanted the extra picks that they traded up for? If they should not have taken Quay Walker, they should have taken, if they wanted Devontae Wyatt, take him at 22, take a wide receiver, Christian Watson, at 28, save the extra pick that you cost trade up in the first place. I understand. Okay. And then continue to add down the line. The part that I like, though, is that they didn't, like, I think they could have taken Christian Watson. I keep wanting to say Watkins. They could have taken Christian Watson at 22. Like, they could have justified that, right? There was rumors that Watson was going to go in the 20s. I think the Packers rightly said six receivers off the board in the top 18. We're not going to fit an extra one in here right now. We're not just going to force a receiver. For whatever it's worth, where Quay Walker was on our board, clearly they liked him. So they took two players that were high on their board, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and then said, okay, this is the next tier of receiver. we got to make a move. Let's go get Christian Watson. I think the way I want to look at this now, though, is I, I look at the Kansas City Chiefs who traded Tyreek Hill, and I look at the replacements of Tyreek Hill, and I'm like, I'm intrigued. You know, I'm team Tyreek Hill. I want him on my team. I've, I've made the statement I never want to see Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. But they've got four unique receivers now, plus Travis Kelsey, right? They've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Mecole Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, and then they drafted Sky Moore. Four completely different receivers. Spread the wealth, maybe, in Kansas City, plus you have Travis Kelsey. Let's look at what the Packers have done. They traded Devontae Adams. I don't want to see Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams anymore at this point in his career. I want to maximize Rodgers, but here we are. They've now replaced, well, here's what they have left. Alan Lazard. They bring in Sammy Watkins. You have rookie Christian Watson, and you have Randall Cobb. You still have Amari Rogers from last year. You've got the great Samari Ture. Romeo Dubes. I don't feel as confident about this Packers receiving core. Oh. Now, the what-ifs are like, what? <clears throat> what if Sammy Watkins turns back the clock six years and Aaron Rodgers gets the best out of him? What if Christian Watson, Watson's comparison in the, in the draft guide is Marcos Valdez-Scantling. Even if that's true, MVS took few years to get going well if before that's he became true, this like 17 yards per catch deep threat if that's with true you still need to replace, ball skills and yeah if that's true you still need to find Devonte adams you don't have to find Devonte adams just like the chiefs don't have to find tyree kill you have to fit you have to figure it out with what you have yeah is but, what i'm saying but they kind of do because they trade so they lost marquez valdez scantling in free agency so if if that's who christian watson becomes Okay, now, you've, now you're standing pat from that point of view. You also traded away Devontae Adams, who was the only legitimate high-end threat within this offense, and it still wasn't enough when you came up against high-end defenses in the postseason. 
So now you need to somehow, with the extra players you brought in, which the sum yeah, of with, which... With the sum of the rest of the players. Right, but the sum of those players is Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dubes, and the great Samari Touré. Those guys have to replace and exceed what you had in Devontae Adams. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. You got Bob Tunyon coming back. Josiah DeGuara. So this is why, like, I just don't like the idea of your first pick, you took a linebacker, because this is the situation you'd put yourself in. I mean, I'm with you as far as I think the Packers probably only go as far as their offense goes, and they got worse. They've gotten worse on their offense. It's not going to hurt to get better on defense with Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. I, I think Wyatt's going to fit in nicely as a penetrating interior player to pair no with No problem Clark. with the Wyatt pick. I mean, if Quay, Quay Walker, his cop in the draft guy was Devondre Campbell. He's going to play right next to Devondre Campbell. Quay Walker is just, he's a safe linebacker. He's, he's got incredible athleticism. He doesn't attack in the backfield, so he doesn't have a ton of flash plays. I could see where you could see the flash plays, flash play potential, the big play, you know, pass breakups and, um, you know, he's athletic. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't love the Quay Walker pick in general. I think that does hurt their overall grade. I, I'm, I, I, here's where I disagree with you. I think their wide receiver process was fine given what was on the table at the time. Where I agree with you is I just I don't like Quay Walker as a prospect in the first round, so why, that's the pick that throws things off. Why would you trade up for Christian Watson when you could have taken him six picks earlier and not given up a pick? Because you got Devontae Wyatt plus okay, Christian Watson. But then you could, have to, you could do exactly the same thing if you just remove Quay Walker from your draft process. Yeah, and then you have another pick. I get it. That's my problem. That's why I think the process wasn't I sound. Think, because you could have gotten those – the two most important players in those top few are Devontae Wyatt and Christian Watson. It's not Quay Walker. You could have had both those guys by just taking them one pick earlier and not having to trade up. But this is all Christian based Watson. off of our evaluation of Quay Walker. Clearly, theirs is different. And again – It's also cer- not even our evaluation. Quay sure Walker, even if he becomes great, even if he becomes Devon, uh, Devondre Campbell, who, by the way, is now sitting in the position that Quay Walker should be playing in a defense – if he pl- becomes Devondre Campbell, it still didn't move the needle as much as the other two guys. He's unlikely to be like, – linebacker value is not the same. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like Quay Walker. But they do. I get it. I under- I, they feel like they probably got two awesome first-round picks and then a third – like a fringe first-round receiver and they're, and they're doing backflips. Part of this is, can Christian Watson, how about this? Can Christian Watson, so here's the way they played it, right? Even though we may have liked Sky Moore better or whatever it is, clearly they thought Watson was in that second tier of receiver, had to go get him. Can he become more than Marquez Valdez-Scantling? He's got sub 4-4 speed. The ball skills, we put it, that as a weakness in the draft guide. I think that's fair. They're just really inconsistent, right? Every time I see him like adjust and make a great catch, he comes back and he drops one or doesn't adjust well. I mean, it's hit or miss. If he hits at his size and speed it's a big hit isn't it yeah i actually think they have a better chance of getting real success out of romeo dubs than christian watson dubs huh yeah i like i like dubs a lot yeah so he's a he's the safer fourth round you know contingency plan the safer yeah that's how mvs (laughs) i mean remember the packers they drafted him valdez scaling equinemia st brown and one other receiver I think all fourth rounder later. Mm. And they got one out of them, right? And that's great. I mean, honestly, it is. I mean, they're doing the same thing here. It's one thing I do like that the Packers do. They seem to attack positions in volume. 
They did it with with offensive linemen with Zach Tom and Sean Ryan. If if after round three you get one starter out of these volume picks at the at one position, it's a win. I mean, if Dubs could be the guy, but Watson could just be a you know deep threat run him off guy. We'll see. I mean, bottom line is I think the Packers offense has gotten worse. Yeah, and it's I, 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 Aaron Rodgers is awesome. But he's there's just more pressure on Rodgers to to make do with everyone else that he has. That's, I think the draft it. the draft overall is good, but I have problems with the mm-hmm. process at the top, and I don't like the Quay Walker pick. Um, but you look down the player, some of the players that they've got are real. Like Zach Tom, you mentioned, could be a really important player for them. Um, Kingsley Enigbare, massive steal given how far he slid. I didn't love him generally. I thought he was a step below some of these other guys, but. Like he slid way down the draft to snag him there. I think is great value. So I think generally this is a pretty good draft, but there's a cap on how good I can grade it given that process at the top. All right, so we the Packers, what did we give them again? B- right in the middle of the pack. We gave them a B plus, and they're 14th in the consensus. Let's go to the Minnesota Vikings. They're 20th in the consensus. We gave them a B for their picks. Um, seemed like a solid draft. I already explained their draft trade. So uh, from a Vikings perspective, we said from the Lions perspective, we're fine with that trade up and everything. From a Vikings perspective, now that we know what they actually got for players, are you okay with that trade? From 12 back to 32, which now included Lewisine, uh, a trade. They traded down again in that whole process, right, to get Andrew Booth. And then they were trading all over the place. They were trading like crazy. They were bouncing up and down. But those are essentially the three players that they got in that Detroit trade. Lewisine, Andrew Booth, and Brian Asamoah. So, yeah, I mean, it's fine. To me, what you have to weigh in. So the, the data charts generally will tell you that th- there isn't that much of a difference between pick 12 and pick 32 or whatever. Um, but Quasi himself was talking about the thing that the charts can actually quantify well is scarcity and how elite players don't necessarily come around very often. When they do, they don't hit the free agent market. So sometimes you have to factor in the scarcity of a certain type of player, and that's just not going to mesh with the trade chart all the time. Now, obviously, he wasn't talking about this specific trade right? because that would have gone the this other way. This was before the trade. He was talking about that, right? Where he was like, no amount of seven-round picks are ever going to equal a one or something like no, that. No, I think that was a different is that a different the same? conversation? I think okay. so. I'm not 100% sure. I only saw the video yesterday, but I think he was talking after the draft. Uh, I got to go back and listen to the – I love the post-draft interviews. I'm going to try to catch up on Yeah, those. but the point being um, sometimes you have to factor in not the historical record of where – of what, what the data says is generally the case, the difference between pick 12 and pick 32. You have to look at this board and say what was there. Now, this board, after pick 12 – Jordan Davis goes a pick number 13. Jordan Davis is being talked about as a singularly unique human like that we've never seen Jordan Davis before. There has literally never been a guy that is, what is he, 6'7", 340, who runs a 4'8". Which still eight. doesn't mean he's going to be great on no, the football No, no, no. But, like, but again, if you're talking scarcity, right, literally this is a unique prospect that we've never seen before. Sure. Pick number 14, Kyle Hamilton, a guy who – a month ago, we were asking, is he good enough that you need to throw everything you know about safety value out of the window and draft this guy in the top five? Um, and whatever you, wherever you stand on that, he's the best safety. Like Lewis Seen or Daxton Hill, depending on what you're listing him as, 
were the next safeties off the board. So there's a big gap between Kyle Hamilton and Lewis Seen. Um, and Jordan Davis is his own unique, you know, freak. So when you're factoring in moving down from 12 to 32, you have to look at the guys that were available and say, well, okay, it's not just is the value generally there. It's are you happy passing up on those guys who are two of the most unique prospects in this draft? If they are, fine. I, I don't know. I, I'm, that, that's just part of the equation. I think that's fair. So let's say from a Vikings perspective here, Lewis Seen is the lesser of Kyle Hamilton for sure. Right. But he's a starting caliber safety. I like Lewis Seen. I thought he was yeah. underrated in the draft it, process. And when projecting safeties, no matter what system you're using, whether you're using production, measurables, your scouts, grades, or whatever, projecting safeties is a difficult thing to do. Matt right? doesn't smile a lot. Have you noticed that? Who doesn't? Lewis Seen. I've seen a lot of the kind of post-draft, you know, the Vikings dragging him around the place, doing all the media stuff. Wasn't smiling? I haven't seen him crack a smile once. He's serious. Yeah. He's good. He's ready to play. Dialed in. That's good, yeah. So let's just say that we don't know if the drop-off to Kyle Hamilton is actually that far because there's uncertainty at safety. Um, they, you know, Andrew Booth, they could have gotten with – if they never traded out, they still could have gotten Andrew Booth, right? right. And he's a potential starter, right? He, it's him and Patrick Peterson's there and Cameron Dantzler. But whether he starts now or not, Andrew Booth has a chance to be a good player. I mean, Booth is a round one talent who appears to have slipped because of injury yeah. concerns. And then you have Brian Asamoah, a guy, again, we liked him at linebacker. You, you, you have him and Eric Hendricks and Jordan Hicks. Um, Asamoah is a potential starter as well. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line here is that you, you may have taken a step back in certainty – from, say, Kyle Hamilton to Lewisine, assuming you were going to take Hamilton. You, you, get, you would have had Booth anyway. That's a wash. But you added a potential starter in Brian Asamoah. Yeah. And, and you're, in, in, here, let me just finish this really quick, too. I think the scarcity thing is interesting and the superstar thing is interesting because we've made the point, I've made the point a ton here, that the value of a superstar at a non-quarterback position is overrated in the NFL. Because the value of the average to slightly above average starter is more valuable in NFL in the NFL than any other sport, and I, to me that was the play that the Vikings made here, is they said with the, we're going to get three starters inst- instead of two, and the way the roster is right now, we'd rather have three starters rather than two, and the other theme that we talked about on draft night too is that they're they're building their defense from back to front, they're going safety corner linebacker, they're going to go and say we're going to shore up our coverage unit and you know, get to our pass rush when we get to it. And I think that was an interesting philosophy in, in a way that they're, that they're thinking about things. I think the Vikings just simply valued three, percent, three potential starters over two, even though I think the upside play that Jameson Williams brings to the table is absolutely massive. And in your point there, the upside that, say, Jordan Davis or Kyle Hamilton might have also, that was what they had to give up in order to get average to slightly above average play theoretically from their other players. Yeah, I mean, this draft is fine. It's it's decent. I like a lot of the players that they got. They address some areas of need. It's it's reasonable. Um, you can debate the trade the trades, all of them, <laughs> I guess. My Generally, though, this whole draft, you know, I went the last time we did a podcast after round one. It's like it, this. the Vikings are just treading water. They're doing the same thing. They're not – there's no big move to do anything to – to go somewhere different than they've been in the past few years, which they acknowledge as a team was not good enough, hence firing everybody. This was another draft to just stay the course, which, again, is fine. What they've been doing has been moderately successful in recent years. But the regime change, the sum totality of the regime change right now appears to be the hope that Kevin O'Connell 
can generate something dramatically different from broadly the same approach that then Mike Zimmer was able to, which I guess is fine. It just feels like a missed opportunity to head in a significantly different direction. I think, well, two things here. I think you're missing, I think you're oversimplifying because I think, were they treading water as far as their free agent moves? I think so. I think that's a fair, that's, that's a fair assessment. Mm -hmm. I think in this draft, you saw Kwesi's going to wheel and deal in the draft. Which, which Spielman has done a lot. Fine, but I think that's part of the strategy and the the identity, say. But the thing is, we know that Spielman and Zimmer, they, were, they weren't getting along toward the end, right? They weren't always on the same page. And maybe that's just the win, right? Is you know, Even in Kwesi's initial press conference, before they had a head coach and John Harbaugh was being rumored, there, uh, Jim Harbaugh was being rumored there and all that stuff, he was like, I'm looking for a partner. Like, I'm looking for a teammate in this whole thing where we could work together. Maybe that was the thing that came out of that entire interview process with the Vikings. Find me a GM and a head coach that are just going to be in sync, right? And when they draft a player, there's a plan for them and, and there's a role. And uh, clearly we didn't always have that between the Vikings front office and the coaching staff. There, there wasn't always synergy there. Maybe that's just the win. It's just the communication and the work. And when you, when you draft a Ty Chandler – in round five, like, hey, we have a sp specific plan for Ty Chandler running back out of North Carolina. He's going to be our pass catcher. He's going to be this, which I do, by the way, like the way Chandler catches the ball in the backfield, especially based off what we saw at the Shrine Bowl, um, the Shrine game. So maybe that's the win. Because I still think, like, I don't think you have to go that far away from Rick Spielman's drafting process or anything like that. You don't need to overhaul that. It's okay that he has the same strategy is rick spielman trade down maximize value and all that stuff i think that's fine maybe it's just the communication play and making sure that the players are doing what you drafted them to do solid draft yeah for the vikings it is i don't think any of these draft grades factored in our our draft chart that said that they won that said that they won that draft with the, uh, that trade with the vikings so vikings at 20 pff grade of b yeah, I think the the overall consensus is, is probably a little bit harsh on this draft, um, but it, it's it's middle of the road. It's stay the course. Again, with draft grades, most of them are dependent on did you get the players I like? Yeah, when, which is reasonable. I mean, what the hell else are you going to be judging this by? When I think the nerds have it right in this respect, we should grade process a little bit more. Yes. And if you come in— <clears throat> Which is why I didn't like the Packers draft as much. I get it. Even though they got good players. If you come in with six picks and you leave with ten— Historically, that's good process, no matter who you picked, because again, the nerds, our friends, would say, you know, you don't know, who, you don't know who the good players are. Nobody knows who the good players are, so just pick more. Somebody gave the Vikings an F. Thor? No, James Dater, Dater, SB Nation, hmm. and Connor Orr. Oh, and he gave him a D minus, not quite an F. D minus for Connor Orr, huh? Thor gave him a C plus. That's like above average for him. <laughs> it's like an A for him. Yeah, uh, but they also got a bunch of A minuses. Chad Reuter. Uh, a minus is one of the worst grades that Chad gave out. Let's be serious. <laughs> okay, not Chad Roy. Oh, <laughs> Doug was pretty generous as well. Who else? Uh, Ricketson and Truscott from DK Nation, whoever any of that is. And, DraftKings? Oh, I see. Uh, and Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. I'm John, not familiar with Rick. Is this John McClain's last uh, draft grades? Isn't he retiring from the Houston Chronicle? John McClain? Yes. Houston Texans. Well, he, I think he's already retired. I don't know why he's still giving draft grades. Maybe he's just. I mean, it's just like uh, Kevin Colbert. He's retired, but he did one more, one draft. last draft. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm not familiar with Rickardson and Truscott's work, but they gave him an A minus. We should you should do some research. I should. So the, for the next three shows, we can uh, talk about them with familiarity. Anyway, right now uh, you get 25 percent off using the promo code NFL Pod. 25% off any PFF subscription. Gets you all the locked article contact content. Our fantasy football rankings. Projections are coming soon. Data grades for the entire 2021 season. 2022 coming up, of course. Support the pod. Use promo code NFLPOD for 25% off any, any, any subscription over at PFF.com. So plan the rest of the week. We'll have our usual Wednesday show, usual Thursday show, mm-hmm. and we're going to try to squeeze a Tuesday in there. Yeah. Okay, because we, we want to hit all eight divisions this week, two Correct. hours at a time. Yes. That was about two hours, wasn't it? Yeah, almost exactly, in fact. Perfect. That's, I think we gave everybody some love. So let us know. What do you think? What do you think of our draft grades, of the grades? Uh, so we'll be back tomorrow at some point with uh, two other divisions, and we'll just crank through them the rest of the week. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right, thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you tomorrow.